This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. We're here today with another installment in our residency spotlight series for the 2021-22 interview season. We are very happy to have with us today Dr. Raymond Sakula, the Program Director for University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Dr. Sakula, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed meeting you all uh, just a few minutes ago, and I think it's a, a really creative and terrific idea to have this podcast, and I'm, I'm glad to be invited to to, uh, to join with you today. And we're happy to have you. You know, as we were talking about, you know, m- many people, I-, I would say everyone applying into neurosurgery, I'm sure is familiar with the PIT program and what it offers in terms of volume, size of the program and residency and the, and the clinical volume in particular. But we wanted to have you on today to talk about some, some of the aspects of the program and the group there that might not come through in the website for the people who are looking at programs before their first virtual visit. So maybe to open up, if you could just give us a shooting from the hip overview of what the Pittsburgh program is, is like from the inside, what, from your point of view. Sure. Well, I mean, first, I think it's important to state that, you know, I really think there are no bad neurosurgery training programs. In fact, I think they're all very good. Um, and even the few that are closed every once in a while, tend to be pretty good, but the American Board of Neuro, Neurological Surgeries, you know, very careful about making sure that that uh, the, the most appropriate training is provided. But, you know, I, I really think the ABNS does an excellent job of, uh, of, um, of ensuring excellent training across all the programs. You know, our program is one that is, um, you know, an older program. Um, it was It was actually started long before Peter Janetta, but really came into its own under Peter Janetta. Um, in those days, there were there were two programs in the city, one at, at uh, Mercy Hospital, which is now part of the University of Pittsburgh Medicine, Medical Center. Allegheny General didn't 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 exist at that time in terms of a neurosurgical residency program. But um, uh, under Peter Janetta, the programs were combined um, and he really started to build a build a subspecialized neurosurgical training program. And, you know, it's really been a storied group of neurosurgeons that have come through this program. Today, we have um, 29 um, residents in our program because we just incorporated a really great guy from uh, from Puerto Rico um, when that program closed. And, uh, and he's been a terrific addition to the program. Uh, the... Um, we have a very large faculty. The UPMC, you know, actually spreads out across most of Pennsylvania, so that it incorporates more than 40 hospitals. But we work through um, five campuses primarily: UPMC Presbyterian University Hospital, UPMC Mercy, which is one of the Catholic hospitals in the city, which is just one mile from our hospital. We have UPMC Shady Side, which was a, a you know very elite private hospital for many years before uh, it joined UPMC and is now really the hub of our cancer efforts that within the Hillman Cancer Center. Then, of course, we have the Children's Hospital, and then we partner with the VA. So our residents work at all five sites, but all five sites are within a three-mile radius. Um, as you mentioned, it's a high-volume program. Um, so, you know, um, 
in the past few years, we've averaged more than 10,000 operations. Um, it's pretty typical for a resident to come through this program with 2,500 to 3,000 cases under their belt. Um, you know, as an example today, I just checked with one of our, um, because I, as a program director, I'm looking to see, you know, what, what's, what's happening with the residents, what kind of training are they, are they getting? And I, I asked one of our um, PGY4s to tell me what she had done in her three block rotation at Mercy. So at Mercy, we have a PGY2 and a PGY4. So in that three months, she did a total of 137 cases. It's kind of a mixed bag of what she did. She did one craniotomy for tumor, one cranial facial case, 11, um, 11 uh, tra brain trauma cases. She did 12 open aneurysmal cases, seven va vascular bypasses during that three months, seven endarterectomies, two AVMs, uh, and then a, a, you know, a whole lot of spine procedures. So very heavy on the vascular and spine side over there and then mixed in some trauma because it's, it's a level one, it's one of the two level one trauma systems in our program. Um, you know, otherwise I wanted to mention that we've gone to great efforts to really increase the complement of advanced practice providers in our program to really, um, take away some of the, uh, stress, uh, of the job from our residents, um, to people who can also handle that, that work. So for example, over at Mercy, we've got, you know, five, um, PAs or nurse practitioners on the floors and in the units working with our team. And so there's two residents, five APPs. Um, there's a whole lot more than that at Presbyterian. And it's like that at all the different sites. So we've, we've gone to great efforts to strengthen that. And then finally, we had kind of a unique problem here where the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center is really separate and distinct from the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and the residents were hired as part of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. So because of that, um, they, they, they could not apply for federal funding uh, as employees of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. So we now have a couple of different mechanisms where they can get their, they, they go off of the UPMC payrolls and go on to the University of Pittsburgh um, side. And that's important for for those residents interested in uh, preclinical uh, training. So for example, this year we have one resident, Zell Zhang, who's a PGY-6. He's doing um, what's called the Physician Incubator Program at the University of Pittsburgh. It's been, um, it's only been in existence for two or three years. It's really good. It's really a top flight group of um, of mentors, and I'm I'm really big on making sure that our residents have mentors that are not neurosurgeons when they're doing their preclinical work, at least not as their primary mentor. Um, and you know, as you probably know, the University of Pittsburgh is number five in NIH funding, so we really have some excellent people here. Um, in on the neurosurgery side, we now have, I believe, the most um, neurosurgeons with federal funding. Um, I think we have six neurosurgeons with NIH funding. Um, so, so the residents have a, but, but we try to make sure that they have a strong PhD to work with. And, um, 
And that program is really nice because it pays a, it actually even pays a stipend for residents for laundry and groceries and things. It really tries to help free up a resident to focus on their, their preclinical scientific um, work. And then we have tentacles, the two T32 programs, one in general surgery and one in anesthesia. The one in anesthesia is related to pain, which, you know, half of neurosurgery is pain work. So, um, but Daryl Fields is a um, PGY4 who's going into the general surgery T32 program for some of his spinal cord work next year. So that's a two-year program. The, the, the difference with that is a little, the, the, the focus is a little different there. It's, it's on really creating preclinical scientists who are ready in year one or two of their practice to really go for our funding. Whereas the physician incubator program is more for people for like the kangaroo or the a K, K, K mechanism. Um, so, uh, you know, those are really nice. And then, um, and then, you know, just uh, we, we've got a longstanding faculty um, that, that's really doing great work. And then we've recruited in some outstanding um, people in the last uh, couple of years, including uh, people like Mike Lang, who's doing, I don't know, maybe 40 bypasses a year over at Mercy, and Pascal Zinn, who's doing probably on the order of 300 brain tumors a year over at the UPMC Shady side. Um, and um, we've got two other people that I can't announce that are really have already signed, but just I'm not I'm not sure it's an appropriate time yet that are joining our program. So we feel really good about that. Um, uh, but like I said, you know, a lot of good programs. You know, Pittsburgh is a city that's really come along in the last I'd say two decades. Um, the the culturally, you know, a very strong place. There's a um, a real spirit to the city that very much has its own identity. Um, and I think most of our residents that come um, really start to feel like they're part of Pittsburgh within a year or two. Um, but maybe I'll leave it at that and see if there's any questions you have or anything you want to talk about. Sure thing, Dr. Sakula. Um, yeah, I mean, the clinical, as you mentioned, the clinical and the research experience at Pittsburgh definitely speaks for itself. And I know you guys have several luminaries in the field, both in the cranial and spine side, who are very well established to provide great clinical experience. And as you mentioned, the research there is incredible with the amount of funding that you guys have and the connections to basic science. I want to shift gears a little bit and uh, ask you about the resident uh, you know, camaraderie. So Pittsburgh is one of the biggest programs in the country. As you mentioned, there are 29 residents uh, and you guys take four a year. Can you talk to me a little bit about what residents do outside of the hospital and uh, you know, uh, you know, what they do in their free time uh, and you know, what the city of Pittsburgh is like to live in and sort of things that residents do uh, in the city as a hospital in their free time? We don't give them any free time. <laughs> uh, no, they uh, they uh, they all are all kind of different, but it's a it's a rather close knit group. In fact, I even um, there was one fella that's kind of in the middle years right now. He's very much a loner. He's got a serious girlfriend, and he, he he unlike most of the residents, he you know he didn't didn't kind of didn't want to fit into the the camaraderie of the team, and and even now, I think he couldn't resist it. He's very much part of the the group and attends the different um, parties and, and things they do. But, you know, there's, um, you know, there's um, a, a pretty vibrant um, 
nightlife here. It's not like New York City or Washington D.C. or or Miami. Um, but it's it's it, you know there's a young scene because there's so many colleges here. Uh, so they go out to our you know bars and things uh, when they're off on the the weekends. They they do you know skiing, uh, which is about an hour away in the winter time. Um, a lot of hiking. Um, there's a pretty good mix of individuals that are uh, single versus those who have you know partners. Um, so you know it's a pretty good pretty good mix of things. We have um, you know all kinds of people with all kinds of interests. Uh, uh, I suppose like any other program. Beautiful. Well, Dr. Sakula, we want to respect your time and thank you so much for coming on the show. I would be remiss if we had an episode talking about Pitt and I didn't give a shout out to some of my friends there. Zach Gersey, who I know from Miami, as well as David McCarthy. Ali Alatar, who's a PGY3 like me, who's one of my best friends from the interview trail. I mention him whenever I can. And of course, Dr. Okonkwo there, who's actually been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, his first uh, time on the show, one of my favorite episodes where he talked about neurosurgeons as a national resource uh, taking care of trauma way back in the early days of episode 28. But uh, for today, thank you so much, Dr. Sakula, for coming on to talk to the applicants this year about what exactly Pitt has to offer. Yeah, well, you you seem to identify all the troublemakers in our program. <laughs> Who else would be my friends? <laughs> no, those are, they're, they're all great. And uh, I'll have to go back and hear Dr. Okonkwo's talk. That sounds interesting. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you all. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. We're here today with another installment in our 2021-22 residency spotlights for the virtual interview season. We are delighted to be joined today by Dr. Kethan Bulsara, the uh, Chief and Program Director at a fairly new residency program at UConn in Farmington, Connecticut. Uh, Dr. Bulsara, welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. JP, thank you for um, thank you for this kind invitation and uh, congratulations to you and uh, Dr. Mike Wang on uh, on creating probably what is one of the most popular neurosurgery podcasts uh, around. So congratulations to the two of you. Well, that's very kind of you, and, and we're glad to have you on. But of course, what could be more impressive than creating a neurosurgery residency program? And that's what we're here to talk about today. Um, as we were discussing before we started recording here, the residency program there at UConn is fairly new. With this match, you'll be taking your third resident in your third year, and that is what we're here to talk about today. And I'm really excited to share what you're doing there with the applicants in the field today. So why don't you talk to the students applying this year about what you've been doing for the past couple of years and what your vision is moving forward as you continue to forge this residency? Great. Well, well, thanks a lot, JP. Um, you know, it, uh, it, um, it always really sort of inspires me that uh, no matter where one is in neurosurgery in terms of cranial or spine, uh, a common theme that binds all of us together is uh, in every way, every single person that's in neurosurgery wants to make some sort of transformative change in our yeah. field. And uh, for a specialty that's only about 100 years old, I, I mean, it's really difficult not to go to any operating room uh, without seeing the fingerprints, the positive fingerprints of neurosurgery uh, all over and how this has emanated to help uh, other specialties um, uh, also in terms of our, our progress. Um, it was in the same spirit uh, that when I uh, when I assumed the leadership position at the University of Connecticut, uh, that um, I, with my colleagues here, 
uh, was inspired to uh, to help teach the next generation of neurosurgeons, the generation that'll possibly be taking care of us uh, as we get older. And uh, I was very fortunate in this that I was able to form a very powerful consortium uh, with uh, the University of Connecticut being the the major site. Uh, uh, and then uh, in my consortium are also Dr. Uh, Inam Qureshi, who heads up Hartford Hospital, and Dr. Jonathan Martin, who heads up neurosurgery at a freestanding children's hospital in uh, in Connecticut. And um, I have to tell you, the, the last, uh, uh, first of all, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to lead and uh, help train uh, the next generation of neurosurgeons. And it makes it amazingly fun. And uh, and, and I think what inspires me is that um, uh, we have a very collaborative, very transparent uh, group that gets together extremely well. And uh, we came from the standpoint that uh, we wanted to go, we wanted to teach residents for the sake of education. We didn't, uh, we had very well-functioning services beforehand and the residents would be an additional bonus uh, uh, to the service where they could really learn and really uh, uh, we would help shape them so they could make the transformative changes that they inspire to make moving forward. And uh, as we move forward, what I, uh, what I envision is uh, as program director and leader of the, the neurosurgery program at the University of Connecticut is I want to give every single person the greatest opportunity to, to reach out and strive for the greatest of their great dreams and, uh, and facilitate that. Uh, um, and for my residents, that's what I'd really like to do. You know, it's so interesting, and, I, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you, leading and establishing as you are um, a, a new young program, because it's it, one of the most interesting ideas that's, that's come out in the research of humans in the past couple of decades is this negativity bias that we all seem to carry. And it's easy for, you know, generally type A, straight-laced, hardworking, nose-to-the-grindstone medical students to be now applying into the field and to, to want to take a safe option, a tried-and-true option. But as you say, neurosurgeons are by nature innovators, and the people drawn to the field are by nature uh, more intuitive, perhaps, more exploratory. And so it, it may be an easy reflex among applicants to think, oh, a new program hasn't been established you know, I, I'd be safer going to one of the big names that's been around for a long time. And I, I think that could be an easy mistake to make and, and a missed opportunity to get into the ground floor and, and put your stamp on something that's being made in real time. So maybe thinking that there may be students that have that knee jerk reflex going into this interview season, speak to them directly and maybe make a case for getting into the ground floor for something new that's happening. Well, JP, the point you bring out is, um, you know, all residency programs uh, uh, had to start at some point and, uh, uh, and all residency programs uh, in the United States um, are closely uh, are closely sort of monitored by our review groups. And, uh, and uh, I mean, no, no matter where you are a medical student, I think, first of all, I, I strongly encourage you to think of neurosurgery as a profession. It, it's a profession that allows you to make transformative changes no matter where you get your training, uh, you have the option to make spectacular contributions uh, to clinical research and educational realms. Now, uh, now having a new program, um, you know, um, it, uh, it, it offers uh, some extremely different benefits in the sense that you really get to contribute to helping build the culture uh, of, uh, of the program. Uh, you uh, you have opportunities that um, uh, that uh, again, being the fact that it's a new program, you, you 
you would get into the operating room sooner. Uh, you, um, you have the full attention of all of the faculty pretty much at all times. And so these are just some of the, some of the sort of immediate sort of uh, benefits of, uh, of being uh, in a new program. Now, uh, in, in return, I, I mean, the, the promise, at least at the University of Connecticut, uh, even though we're a new program, we're a very well-established um, um, uh, university with uh, clinical research and uh, education expertise. And, uh, and uh, we can guarantee that uh, our trainees uh, will, be, uh, will be trained in a world-class fashion and uh, be competitive uh, no ma- uh, with anybody else in, in the country. But, but I think the most exciting thing for medical students is neurosurgery is probably one of the most rewarding professions uh, if you're so inclined, if you're inclined to make these transformative changes, if you envision sort of shaping the future, not only of surgery, but in many, many different realms, clinical uh, research and education, neurosurgery is truly one of the last frontiers, and you have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, definitely. A field of opportunity. Um, And, you know, it's almost become cliche these days to ask about a five-year plan, but we happen to be sitting here five years away from your first chief resident, your first PGY-7. So maybe, you know, normally I would ask, what's the structure of the program like? When do people do elective years and how do they spend them? But looking forward, what's your general plan for what the seven-year residency will look like as you start to fill those PGY years? Yeah, so um, you know we uh, we made a con- uh, we made a decision not to uh, backfill our positions. So we're going um, we're we're entering the match uh, each of the years, and we're we're filling uh, from the lowest level uh, up. And uh, PGY one. So basically, the way the the curriculum is broken down is it's broken down into uh, subspecialties. Uh, so for example, uh, you have trauma one, you have um, vascular one, you have tumor one, you have functional one. Uh, pediatric one, and uh, and the first year of our, our residency program is aimed at uh, helping our residents uh, get all the necessary skill sets they would they would need to excel in their subsequent years. So uh, this involves being involved. Uh, this involves uh, participating in an uh, ENT rotation, uh, general uh, a couple of general surgery rotations, ICU work, uh, trauma work, uh, radiology, pathology, and um, uh, uh, and uh, to, uh, to name a few, when they enter their their subsequent year PGY two, they uh, they start onto their clinical services, and and much like we did when we were in uh, in college, and you had chemistry one hundred and one, physics one hundred and one. We have they start off with their trauma one hundred and one rotation, and then they they advance through all of these different subspecialties. Uh, PGY two, they sort of build on what they learned. Uh, they enter some of the um, the the like a one hundred and two rotations. In the subspecialties, uh, PGY three, uh, they continue along this uh, this theme, and uh, they get uh, they start to get some exposure to pediatric neurosurgery. Uh, PGY four year, it's uh, it's the research year, but but you know more more generally, it's a year where I've encouraged my residents to really strive for something that they're really passionate about doing, and. Uh, uh, and the general concept being is that no matter what they do, as long as it has significant academic potential, I will support it because, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say, I may enjoy going to the lab and doing uh, doing some research or going to the dissection lab and doing dissections, but there may be something else that my residents are really, really passionate about. And I, I really want them to develop those skills throughout their residency, but especially in the fourth year, have focused time to develop that because if they can develop the skills that they're really, really passionate about, then they will bring that intangible quality that we all try to inspire and, and bring forth uh, 
to their work and they will make contributions beyond their wildest imagination. So I really want them to be passionate about what they do their fourth year. Uh, the fifth year, they come out as uh, a senior residence and uh, they spend some more time on pediatrics and all of the other subspecialties in terms of uh, now they're at the 103 level. And uh, uh, sixth and se- uh, by, the, by the time they complete the sixth year, they would have met um, uh, all of the minimal requirements um, uh, necessary uh, as set forth by our RSC and, and the ACGME. And the seventh year is a year that I just want them to, their chief year, is to fine tune their skills in, uh, in in whatever area they they, they decide. I mean, we uh, you know we have over between our among our consortium sites, we do over four thousand cases. So uh, so the residents will have a tremendous opportunity to uh, to focus in uh, on their seventh year, which almost becomes an elective year, uh, but still with a tremendous amount of support and teaching from all of the faculty. So that that's the seven years in a nutshell. Phenomenal. Well, Dr. Bulsara, I uh, I cannot wait until that day comes when you operate with your PGY-7 for the first time as chief and, and when, when you see them uh, start to graduate. I can only imagine how gratifying that will be. And we want to thank you for your time today to come on and, and share this look inside a, a new and exciting program for the applicants in the field this year. So thank you for coming on and talk about the University of Connecticut Neurosurgery Residency today on the podcast. JP, thank you. Thank- Thank you for your time. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're joined by another guest who's been on our podcast before, Dr. Reese Cosgrove, who I'm a huge fan of. Reese is the program director at the storied Brigham and Women's Hospital. He's going to tell us all about why it's the best training program in America. Reese, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. And thank you, John, for having me. Well, we're just delighted to have you back, as Dr. Wang said. Um, you know, if, if any of our listeners didn't hear the previous episode when you were on talking about psychosurgery, maybe, Dr. Cosgrove, you could introduce yourself, as this is mostly for a younger audience of people applying into the field. And with that, start talking about Brigham and, and give us your perspective on the program from the inside. All right. So uh, uh, welcome to all listening to this. Um, I am a functional neurosurgeon and I'm the program director at the Brigham and Women's Hospital here in Boston. And um, uh, it really, uh, I guess as an introduction, you know, the Brigham is the birthplace of modern neurosurgery. Uh, Back in 1913, when the Brigham opened, uh, Dr. Harvey Cushing was the surgeon in chief. And uh, I think even applicants realize uh, the contributions of Cushing uh, to neurosurgery. Uh, So this is where neurosurgery began, and um, this is where uh, really advanced neurosurgery continues. Um, And uh, I'm just uh, really pleased to be uh, um, the program director with some really great residents, uh, allowing them to explore neurosurgery and train in neurosurgery. Of course, those historical roots run deep, and it's a very prestigious honor that you claim there with Dr. Cushing. Uh, at, at the forefront of the program. Um, perhaps we could talk a bit about what things look like today. Uh, obviously, when the students interview with you and even from the website, they'll get a sense of the program structure and the rotations, but maybe you could give us a, a broad overview about what the program looks like from start to finish, what kinds sure. of things are built in, any elective years, things like that. Sure. Uh, the other thing I should add is that we're a joint program with the Boston Children's Hospital where pediatric neurosurgery was started. So we are two separate hospitals connected by a bridge, but a common training program. Uh, 
so we have, uh, it's a seven year program. Uh, the first three years uh, are um, uh, basic three years. You do a lot of more uh, inpatient uh, work. You in the operating room. Um, uh, it's it's uh, uh, very busy. We tend to front load our call in-house call uh, in those first three years, uh, so that as a a, a a senior and a chief resident, you'd never do in-house call again. Um, so the first three years you are, uh, put on, uh, we have four services, three at the Brigham, one at the children's. We have a, a, a Cushing, Dandy and Penfield services at the Brigham and the Ingraham service at the, the children's. And you basically, uh, as a, a junior resident, you, uh, will be assigned to one of those services for, uh, uh four months, three to four months. And you learn uh, uh, and focus your your experience in in an area. Uh, the dandy service is mostly spine. The Cushing service is mostly tumor and skull base, and the Penfield service is uh, functional and vascular. So you really focus your uh, your experience on cases of the same sort and gain experience both managing the patients uh, um, on the floor and operating on them. Uh, 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 as generally an assistant, but you actually get some fair exposure as a lead uh, lead surgeon. Uh, in the fourth and fifth years, we uh, protect those for research. Uh, um, and uh, you do a little call in as, a, as a four, but no call as a five, no in-house call as a five, six, or seven. So it's um, that's, that's advantageous for you to be able to concentrate on your research experience. You know, Boston is just a fantastic opportunity for research. We have all sorts of research going on in our own department in neurosurgery, but uh, we allow residents to explore opportunities throughout Boston. Many of our residents are uh, have done a couple of years of research at MIT uh, or at Harvard Medical School. So it really, it's a fan, it's just a almost an overwhelming wealth of opportunities. Uh, and in the sixth and seventh year. Uh, you spend, um, uh, you're really a senior resident uh, in, as a six. Um, you, as a six, you're the chief resident at the children's for four months. Um, and then uh, you're a senior back uh, uh, at the Brigham. And as a seven, you are the chief resident uh, uh, with variable administrative responsibilities. But then you run each of the Brigham services, the Cushing uh, Dandy and Penfield services uh, as though it was your own. Uh, so you, it's a huge experience. We have uh, at the Brigham, we do well over 4,000 cases and the Children's does another over a thousand cases a year. So our residents, when they graduate from our program, typically uh, will have done, been lead surgeons on, uh, on average, about 1,500 cases uh, under their belt. Uh, some of the uh, eager ones, uh, more eager ones, do up to 1,800, close to 2,000 cases uh, as uh, surgical cases under their belt by the time they graduate. So uh, we are extremely uh, uh, fortunate in that way to have a huge clinical material. Well, that's just phenomenal. And I, I have to say, as a brief aside, I love the service names that you have. I had never heard that before. I didn't know that about the Brigham. And that's just delightful. I'm a nut for history and particularly neurosurgical history. 
I, I really love those service line names. Um, but having talked a bit about what your residents do for seven years and what they do in each of those years, maybe you could share with our listeners a bit about the residents themselves. What are the personalities like in your cohort? What's the culture of that group like? And with that in mind, what kind of people do you look like to look for to complement them best? Well, yeah, that's a that that's a really good question. It's it's um, we uh, uh, we often we tend to get the pick of the litter here, which very fortunate. You know, the one of the things we uh, 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 I always think and how do we make really great neurosurgeons? Uh, it's a question I always ask myself. Well, a lot of it is training. A lot of it is just expert faculty, um, but certainly uh, uh, the best way to make great neurosurgeons is to start with really great residents, <laughs> and we're really fortunate that way. Um, we uh, we have a highly competitive. Uh, we get over 300 applicants. Um, we only interview 40. We select three. We have three residents a year. Uh, our residents tend to be uh, from all over the country. They're uh, uh, really, they are smart. They're motivated. Um, I really couldn't ask for a better bunch of, uh, of residents. Many of them, because we really, our goal is to produce the next generation of academic neurosurgeons and leaders, many of them uh, have already gotten a, a, their MD-PhDs. So many of them already have their own uh, area of expertise or area of interest that they hope to develop, um, uh, but not all, not all. And uh, you know, some of our best residents come in uh, without any uh, PhD or any intense or intensive research background, and uh, uh, that's uh, uh, we love that we love them too because. Uh, uh, they just join in and um, uh, just contribute to the, the culture of the residency. Uh, I will say that they come from all different backgrounds and, and uh, uh, they are just a fun group of people. Uh, uh, they make me laugh. Sometimes they make me cry, but, but mostly they make me laugh and, uh, and I'm really proud of them. Wonderful. Well, I think fun is the best place to end the conversation. I will not uh, ask you to talk about Boston. It's one of America's great cities, and I think it speaks for itself and needs no advertisement. But perhaps you could speak a little bit about what kinds of things the residents do outside of the hospital, at least to your knowledge. Uh, what kinds of social activities do they get into? And, you know, residency is seven years not only at work. How do they spend the time when they're off duty? Yeah, well, uh, I only hear the fun things that are healthy. I think, I'm sure they do a lot of fun things that are unhealthy. <laughs> but, um, you know, we um, one of the, the torturous things they do is they run the Harvard steps on Saturday mornings. Mm. Sometimes they, uh, which is just, uh, if, if you've never heard of doing that, it's like the most grueling exercise you could possibly imagine. Um, uh, we've uh, we've uh, uh, arranged uh, ski trips uh, in the winter for those of the pe those of them who like to ski. Uh, we have pickup soccer games. There's lots of dinners out. Um, uh, there's a, a group of them because uh, uh, some of them some of the faculty don't really know how to cook very well. They uh, I know they go over to one of our faculty members just to teach her how to cook properly. So. Uh, 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 because as a neurosurgeon, neurosurgeon, sometimes we 
we don't uh, um, attend to some of uh, life's uh, uh, other uh, um, uh, abilities that we need to pay attention to. So uh, several of them have tried to teach one of our junior faculty actually how to cook. Uh, uh, so no, it's a, they uh, are a really uh, fun group of people. Um, uh, and usually they have more fun when I'm not around. <laughs> As it should be, at least As outside of work. Uh, well, Dr. Cosgrove, we do want to respect your time, and we're just so grateful to have you back on the show today to talk not about your own work, but to talk about the program there at Brigham. Uh, I will remind our listeners, if you want to look back during our neurosurgery and cognition miniseries, we were fortunate enough to have Dr. Cosgrove on talking about psychosurgery, its history and its modern applications. That was just a phenomenal conversation, one of my favorite in the show's history. Um, but again, the highlight today is the program at Brigham, and I'm sure that our listeners, particularly those applying this year, are so grateful for the information you've come on to share, Dr. Cosgrove. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, well, thanks for having me, John. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.